Okay, well, why don't we start? And probably people will um, be coming in. How's everyone doing? All right, that's good. Are you all um, practicing social distance? Are you okay with that? Practicing my victory speech from when we don't have the social distance anymore. Yeah, well, Trump's been practicing that victory speech like um, every afternoon, right? So, yeah, that'll be good. Um, are you guys going stir crazy? Yeah. 100% yes. 100% yes. Okay. Um, but it, it gives you a chance to bond with your family, right? <laughs> no one seems enthusiastic about finally having a reason that their parents can't ask them to leave. It's like, you can't ask me to leave. I have to be here. Okay. Um, have you guys done any of the reading that I sent out last week? A little. So just just to remind you, I'm not sure that I was... Um, yay, Sophia. Um, I'm not sure that I was completely clear on this for uh, your um, the paper due at the end of the term, but... Um, you should be talking about at least uh, two of the critics that we've done on Antony and Cleopatra, that is, um, interact with them, have something to say about what they're saying, as well as if this is your only paper. Um, for those of you who are only writing the one long paper, you should also be talking about at least one of the critics who said, had something to say about Macbeth. So it's not only um, comparing, uh, it's not only about the two plays, which your second paper or your, the paper due at the end, whether second or first, uh, should, should discuss, but also some of the uh, relationships, attitudes, thoughts um, that, uh, that, we, that, that are in the critics and theorists and philosophers that are part of the secondary reading for this class. So, you know, going all the way back to Johnson and Coleridge and all the way forward to uh, 20th century and 21st century. I'm not sure I sent anything that was actually 21st century to you, but um, at least uh, the last um, quarter century, half century. Uh, so you can decide who you want to um, interact with, who you want to engage in some discussion with, um, some debate with, but uh, you should be talking about some of those people as well. Okay, let us go on. When is the final paper actually due? Um, officially the last day of class, do people need longer? I mean, I know you have um, all this other stuff you have to be doing right now, right? Um, does anyone need longer than the last day of class? You can just use the hand raise. <laughs> okay, so the graduate students, certainly, um, it's, it's nature um, for it to be longer. Specific day is the last day of class. I feel like it's April 29th. Am I wrong about that? Um, oh, here's Nakul. Let me just let him in. Um, April 29th, but they also just changed it. So that's the last day of classes, but then we have like two... I don't even know what they are. There are two more days now, but they're not like class days. Yeah. Like days. 
What are they, Talia? They're, they're, I think they're makeup days. Okay. To like make up office hours and stuff like that. But so you want, you want the paper by the end of class, not by the end of finals. Well, what I want and what I get are two different things, right? So, um, what, um, so just, if, so I'm going to say what I said about the first um, paper, what I say in all my classes, that officially it's due according to the syllabus, the last day of class. You can have an extension for, without asking and without penalty um, through the last day of finals. Now, I think maybe the last day of finals are two days later than they used to be. I think that may have been the way they changed the schedule. I know graduation is like a week after what it had been. Um, so, but at any rate, what that means is don't get it in before the last day of class. Really don't because uh, you'll, the whole point of the paper is to be talking about, um, to be writing it in the context of class discussion and all the reading that we've done. Take as much time after the last day of class as you need, as long as you get it in by the end of finals. If you're a senior, you should make sure when you hand it in to me to remind me that you're a senior. I will try to keep track of that. But if you're graduating, then I need to be doing your papers first. And But um, you can have till the last day of finals without penalty and without um, asking permission. So it's just a free, um, uh, free extension for anyone who needs it. If it's going to be after the last day of finals, then you need to talk to me about it. Okay, does that work for people? There, as, as I say, there are some people who would like, um, who would like a deadline, even if they're entitled to, to pass the deadline without penalty. So officially the last day of class, but um, take to the last day of finals if you need it, and uh, we're set. Um, okay, back to Act 2, Scene 7. We'll just Sorry, keep... what, what is the last day of our class? I believe it's April 29th. I'll go look right now, though. Um, Syllabi, Brands, Shakespeare. Nope, April 28th. I was so uh, wrong. Okay, thank you. Okay. And are those supposed, are those extra days, um, Talia, were you saying they were supposed to be makeup class days as well? makeup class days i think just in the emails like makeup days for doing office hours and meeting with professors and stuff like that okay well um i'm going to suggest that we have um optional if we don't finish the play which we won't that we have optional um another optional day or two or people against that for it um neutral or Okay, so so let let's plan on that, but let's try and um, for those for those who um, find that onerous, let's try and get as close to the end of the play as we can in the official classes that are left, which means that we are now in Act Two, Scene Seven, and um, what's happening? Remember, we don't meet. Oh, we do meet on Friday, right? Yeah, that's right. So this is just, even though Wednesday and Thursday are off, Friday is a regular day. So so for for this class, it's a regular week. So that's good. Um, what's in the baggie? Sorry, 
sorry, I didn't mean to like present that. I'm just trying to get my life organized. I, I'm doing, I'm making a tiny little like house during my classes so I can pay attention. Oh, okay. And so I'm building like tiny little plants and stuff. Okay. All right. That's good. I was, I was just wondering if it was like, oh, I don't know, a $5 bag of oregano or something. Um, do you guys not, do you guys know about oregano? Like, but it's, a, what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> that, um, oregano looks a lot like marijuana. Oh, and, yeah. Okay. And, um, so, uh, that was my little joke there that you would get nickel bags. Not that I ever would or anything, but people would try to sell one nickel bags that were actually, um, smelled like pizza, um, and had like 50 cents worth of oregano in it, which they would try to sell, I am told, other people for $5. Not that I would ever know. This is like grass, yeah. like actual, like fake grass. I realize it's green. Yeah, right. It's not oregano. Okay. Or, or anything else. All right. So wait, by grass, do you mean grass that grows in the backyard or grass that you smoke? Um, grass in the backyard. Okay. But that still could be like, yeah, depends you, on these two options. Never mind. Yeah, no, no, I get it. I'm there. Okay. okay. Act two, scene seven. It's a party scene. Everyone is getting stoned. Um, and then um, Minas and Pompey are having this discussion. Uh, do people remember who they were last time for this scene? Just for clarification, this is after the uh, triumvirate makes the peace deal with Pompey and they're all at his party, right? Yeah, so they're all at the party. They've, they've decided to make peace. They're all at the party. And then Minas has a suggestion. Um, so, and, uh, one thing that you should ask yourself is, um, besides the fact that we're, um, Tommy, we're at line 57, um, uh, despite the fact that, um, sorry, I'm just trying to catch up on the chats. Um, uh, despite the fact that this is interesting historically, um, there's a lot that Shakespeare leaves out. So one question to ask is why is this this little moment that we're about to read in the play? So um, let's just, we'll start at line 57. Um, who's Minas? Okay, good. Who's um, Grace or Minas? Who's Pompey? No one's raising their hand. Someone, okay, Matt, you're Pompey. Um, who's Antony? Okay, Nicole, you're Antony. And I think that maybe, um, uh, let's get Nina Barbas. Um, Nina Barbas? Okay, I'm gonna pick, all right, okay. Um, Cassie, you're Nina Barbas. Okay, so um, Minas uh, is talking to Pompey off, um, out, out of earshot of everyone else. Minas, go. What line are we on? My lines aren't numbered. Okay, so it's, I have ever held my cap off to thy fortunes. Sorry, I'm trying to find it. Uh, so, yeah, just I have ever. That should give you enough. Yeah, I, okay. 
I have ever held my cap off to thy fortune. But no, by the way, I'll just, I'll just uh, draw your attention to the word ever there, which is, which is kind of interesting. Um, we'll, we'll see it again. Okay, um, go. Thou Pompey. hast served me with much faith. What's else to say? Be jolly, Lord. And remember, we compared that to be large in mirth. Anthony? Oh, sorry, uh, these quicksands, Lepidus, uh, keep them off for you sink. Keep off Wilt them. Wilt thou be lord of all the world? Okay. What sayest thou? Wilt thou be lord of all the world? That's twice. How should that be? But entertain it, and thou, and though thou think me poor, I am the man will give thee all the world. Hast thou drunk well? What does that mean? Hast thou drunk well? Are you drunk? Yeah, how drunk are you? Yeah. No, Pompey, I have kept me from the cup. Thou art, if thou darest be, the earthly Jove. Would ere the ocean pales or sky in slips, in clips, in clips, is thine, and thou wilt have. So, what does unpales mean there? Anyone know? It's not what the ocean makes pale. Um, it's like when something is beyond the pale. It means beyond a boundary. So whatever the ocean bounds is um, what it means. So you you all know that you all know the the expression. That's really beyond the pale. Um, so this is the literal use of that word pale. Pompey, uh, show me which way. These three world shares, the, these competitors are in thy vassal vessel. Let me cut the cable, and when we are put off, fall to their throats. All there is thine. Ah, this thou shouldst have done, and not have spoken on. In me tis ability, in thee have been good service. Thou must know tis not my profit that does lead mine honor. Mine honor it. So my Which honor leads my profit, not my, pro um, not my profit leading my honor. Uh, repent that ere thy tongue hath so betrayed thine act being done unknown I should have found it afterwards well done but must condemn it now desist and drink okay what speech do you think he might have been writing in Macbeth at the same moment if it were done when tis done yep if it were done when tis done, then twere well it were done quickly. So here's this idea of getting something done, and um, if it's done, then we're set. Here, what Pompey is saying is, I can't do it, um, because first of all, I am their host, which is strong against the deed. So being done unknown, I should have found it afterwards well done, but must condemn it now, so desist and drink. And then Minas. For this I'll never follow thy pallid fortunes more. Who seeks and will not take once tis offered shall never find it more. Okay, so that I think is a crucial aside on Minas's part. That is that we already have this conversation that's going on in, a, in an aside. And now um, we have um, Minas in an aside, within an aside, saying, I'm no longer going to follow your fortune anymore. Um, hang on to that, because that is um, 
a, a foreshadowing of a later version of the friend. Remember, we talked about, about Minas, Agrippa, and Enobarbus as kind of parallel figures, the, um, the trusted minor figure friends of the various um, important people that they serve. And now we have Minas, who is um, deciding that he is no longer going to stay loyal to the person that he serves. And um, so that's going to set up something later on. Um, okay, Pompey. This health to Lepidus. Antony. Uh, bear him ashore. I'll pledge it for him, Pompey. Here's to thee, Minas. Inabarbus, welcome. Go till the cup be hid. There's a strong fellow, Minas. Why? <laughs> he bears the third part of the world. See us not? The third part then is drunk. Would it were all that it might go on wheels? Drink thou, increase the reels. Come. This is not yet an Alexandrian feast. So what does that it mean? It ripens to... Wait, what does that mean? This is not yet an Alexandrian feast? Is that like... You guys think you're shit-faced? This is nothing. Um... That is, um, Pompey is um, basically saying, uh, I can see that everyone's drunk, but I'm sure that in Alexandria, people got a whole lot drunker than this. Um, and um, Antony says, It ripens towards it. Strike the vessel's hoe. Here's to Caesar. Oh, I'll be Caesar. I could well forbear it. It's monstrous labor when I wash my brain and it grows fouler. So there's one person there who um, is really doesn't like drinking. So he's drinking because it's they're supposed to be celebrating the peace treaty and it's the right thing to do and he's being sociable, social and sociable, but he really doesn't like it. Um, so wash my brain how? With what? With alcohol? Yeah, he's yeah. washing his brain with, with Purell or something. Um, and it's just getting fouler, so the very thing that's supposed to be washing his brain is making him um, dirtier, which is a metaphor for um, being drunk. Antony? Be a child of the time. Oh, sorry. Possess it, I'll make answer, but I'd rather fast from all four days than drink so much in one. So Caesar is saying that his answer is, you shouldn't be a child of the time, you should possess the time. Um, that is his answer to Antony saying, be a, be a child of the time. So Antony is saying, um, do what is appropriate to the time, and what's appropriate now is partying, and Caesar is saying, no, I want to own the time. It's like um, Humpty Dumpty and Alice, when um, Alice says, you all know this, right? Alice says, um, you can't make words mean anything you want them to mean. And Humpty Dumpty says, the, Alice says, the question is, can you make words mean what you want them to mean? And Humpty Dumpty says, the only question is, which is to be master? That is all. And um, here, 
Caesar is saying, my intention is always not to be a child of the time, but to be master. Enobarbus? Ha, my brave emperor. Shall we dance now the Egyptian bacchanals and celebrate our drink? Pompey. Let's have, uh, let's have it, good soldier. Come, let's all take hands till that the conquering wine had steeped our sense in soft and delicate leaf. Leafy. So, Leafy. Yeah, and remind us what that means. The, I forgot. The river in the underworld. Which does what? Makes you forget right. everything. Yeah, so so the idea is the River Lethe is kind of our real world experience of the River Lethe is alcohol. Um, that is, uh, you drink to forget, as the famous line goes. And um, so we're um, we are going to steep our sense in soft and delicate Lethe. Um, that is to say, we will forget everything that's bothering us and just enjoy being completely without um, anything but present pleasure. Um, anyone remember the word steep in another Shakespeare play? Four days will quickly steep themselves in night. What is that, Grace? Midsummer. Midsummer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, that idea of being steeped is a, is a word that Shakespeare likes to use for drunkenness. It means that there's no room for anything else because you're saturated with only this. Um, okay, Ina Barbas. I'll take hands, make battery to our ears with the loud music, the while I'll place you. Then the boy shall sing, the holding every man shall beat as loud as the strong sides can volley. So... Um, Again, notice that what he's doing is he's using military metaphors um, for the music. Um, that the loud music will make battery to our ears. That is, um, will shoot um, its noise at our ears. Um, I'll put, put everyone in order. A boy shall sing. Um, uh, and um, every man will volley again like a gun. Um, will volley out um, their um, the the holding, which means um, the refrain that they sing, the court, what we call the chorus. So uh, music is going to be important later in this play. Um, so just notice the music now, and um, I'll I'll say the song um, that the boy sings. Come, thou monarch of the vine. Plumpy Bacchus with pink eyne, in thy vats our cares be drowned, with thy grapes our hairs be crowned. Cup us till the world go round, cup us till the world go round. So um, a song, a drinking song, and we all now do the holding, everybody. Cup us, cup us till, till the, world the world go round, cup, cup us till, till the world, world go round. round. And what does the world go around mean there? Till the world ends? Um, yeah, but it also means um, till the world is spinning so fast that you just are completely dizzy. I know you guys are too drunk to have tried alcohol, but if you drink a lot, that will happen. Um, okay, Caesar. 
Oh, was I going to be Caesar? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Does someone want to be Caesar? Why, yes, someone does. I can tell that Talia does. Talia. What would you more, Pompey? Good night. Good brother, let me request you off. Our graver business frowns at this levity. Gentle lords, let's part. You see, we have burnt our cheeks. Strong enobarb is weaker than the wine, and mine own tongue splits what it speaks. The wild disguise hath almost anticked us all. Antic. What means... Sorry? Anticked. That is turned us into um into antics or fools. Okay, like, that makes sense. Like Anticked us all. What needs more words? Good night. Good Antony, your hand. Uh I'll try you on the shore. And Chelsea, give us your hand. So what does he mean by I'll try you on the shore? <laughs> he says, let's keep drinking. Take you on a drinking contest. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's go. Okay, we're going ashore. Let's keep drinking when we go, go there and see who can hold their liquor better. Oh, Antony, you have my father's house. But what? We are friends. Come down into the boat. So remember the, the little question of Pompey's father's house and why Pompey had this particular anger at Antony? So here, there's this little bit of regret. Like, well, we made this peace, but you still have my father's house. He's sad. But then he says, but what? We are friends. Um, he it, It's over. So once again, just the, the immediacy of the um, drinking, the partying, the um, uh, steeping themselves in Lethe, the peace they've made is trumping everything. But what? We are friends. And here's one of many times, but in this case, Antony is present, that we see the words, oh, Antony. Uh, so, again, those are words always to notice in the play. Um, Ina Barbas? Take heed, you fall not. Minus, I'll not on shore. No, to my cabin, these drums, these trumpets, flutes, what? Let Neptune hear we bid a loud farewell to these great fellows. <gasps> sound to be hanged, sound out. <laughs> Who says, ah, there's my cap? Oh, noble captain, come. Okay. So, end, so scene, um, and notice that Ina Barbas and Minas are now placed together. They're drinking together. Once again, Shakespeare is making sure that you see them as parallel characters, as analogous characters to each other. And notice that Minas is um, uh, not interested in um, anything but the partying now. Um, Talia uh, wants to know what they're drinking. Um, it's a kind of fortified wine. Um, it's There were limits to how much alcohol they knew how to get into a drink at the time. Um, so basically think of it as um, as strong wine, as, as uh, wine that's as strong as you can get it to be, which is about um, maybe 30 proof, 15% alcohol, um, not stronger than that. Um, distill, um, distilling alcohol was a early modern, um, innovation and they didn't know how to do it back then. So you had to, uh, drink a lot to, um, drink a lot. Um, okay. Three, one, um, people remember who Ventidius is. We saw him briefly before as one of Antony's followers. So, um, 
Um, let's have a Ventidius and a Silius. Ventidius is going to be of some importance later. No, we're going to we're going to uh, go to newer people. So Emery, you be Ventidius, and um, Sophia, you be Silius. I think you have um, not too much to say, but go for it. So, Ventidius. Now, regarding Parthia, art thou struck, and now, please, fortune does of Marcus Crassus' death make me revenger. Bear the king's son's body before our army. Thy Pacorus, Orodus, haste this for Marcus Crassus. Okay, so do you remember why, why, why are the Parthians called, why, are, why is it darting Parthia? We talked about this a week or two ago. What were the Parthians known for in battle? This is just like general cultural literacy. That's why I'm repeating it. Oh, that they would shoot backwards? Yeah, they were amazing. Um, they were amazing bowmen. And they would look like they were retreating, but they would shoot behind over their shoulders those who were chasing them. And they would essentially draw them into um, traps by, by, by um, retreating and then um, firing backwards. So it's a little bit like um, if you're trying to just take a discrete picture um, of the person behind you in a restaurant. So you um, reverse the camera um, as though you're doing a selfie so that you can actually get a picture of whatever weird thing they're doing. That's how the Parthians, that's what the Parthians did with their arrows. Um, they were just really good at shooting um, stuff that was behind them. But they've lost to Ventidius. Antony has sent Ventidius um, to defeat the Parthians, and he has. Uh, you don't have to worry about Marcus Crassus and so on. That's just part of the history. Silius. Uh, noble Ventidius, wilt yet with Parthian blood, thy sword is warm. The fugitive Parthians follow, spur through Media, Mesopotamia, and the shelters whither the routed fly. So thy grand captain Antony shall set thee on triumphant chariots and put garlands on thy head. Yeah, so go after them. And then Ventidius um, has an observation to make. Oh, Silius, Silius, I have done enough. A lower place, note well, may make too great an act. For learn this, Silius, better to leave undone than by our deed, acquire too high of fame when him we serve is away. Caesar and Antony have ever won more in their officer than person. Stasius, one of my place in Syria, his lieutenant, for quick accumulation of renown, which he achieved by the minute, lost his favor. Who does it the wars more than his captain can become his captain's captain? And ambition, the soldier's virtue, rather makes choice of loss than gain which darkens him. I could do more to do Antonius good, but it would offend him, and in his offense should my performance perish. So, um... Ask yourself whether this is at, whether this turns out to be true about Antony. So this is a pretty cynical and hard-headed thing to say, which is you don't want to show up the commander-in-chief. Um, you want him to get all the credit for good things that happen. So, you know, luckily we don't live in days like that anymore where people have to um, uh, fake humility so that the head of the state um, will look good, lest he fire them, for example. Um, but back then, 
um, people like Ventidius were um, saying things like that. You have to be careful. If you do too much, um, then people give you the credit instead of the person who, who has the power to um, um, fire someone who he is jealous of. Um, but ask yourself whether this turns out to be true of Antony later on. Again, notice that Ventidius is a little bit in the Enobarbus position. That is, he's a trusted lieutenant of Antony's. And um, you're going to see several people in that position. Uh, the final one being Eros, uh, who we've already met. So um, the um, it's it's so not only do we have um, people in that position, Agrippa and Minos, for example, with respect to Caesar and Pompey, uh, respectively. But we also have several such people who are Antony's followers, of whom Enobarbus is the chief, but there's a reason that there are others. Okay, Silius? Um, thou hast been tedious, that without the witch a soldier and his sword grants scarce distinction. Thou wilt write to Antony? I'll humbly signify what in his name, that magical word of war, we have effected. How, with his banners and his well-paid ranks, the ne'er-yet-beaten horse of Parthia, we have jaded out of the field. Where is he now? So notice that question. Where is Antony? Remember, Cleopatra asked the same question. Where is he? Um, that's always the question in this play. Where is he now? You remember Cleopatra asking that when she's drinking Mandragora and steeping herself no, in Lethe? Until, like, two minutes ago. Wait, say it again, Tommy? Tommy. Did anyone hear what he said? All right. Um, Ventidius. He purposeth to Athens whither, with what haste, the weight we must convey with his will permit. We shall appear before him on their pass along. So we're going to go to Athens as fast as we can, um, given, uh, since it's appropriate that we do so, um, uh, and also given the weight of the bodies and so on, um, that we're carrying with us. Okay. Agrippa and Enobarbus, two more, um, buddies. Uh, so Agrippa, Hannah, can you be Agrippa? Yeah. Yay. And Enobarbus, um, how about, uh, Matthew? Yay, I'm unmuting you. Okay. I'm unmuting you again. Okay, go. What? Are the brothers parted? They have dispatched with Pompey. He is gone. The other three are sealing. Octavio weeps to part from Rome. Caesar is sad. And Lepidus, since Pompey's feast, as Minas says, is troubled with the green sickness. So what do you think the green sickness is? Hangover. Hangover. Yeah. Tis a noble Lepidus. A very fine one. Oh, how he loves Caesar. Nay, but how dearly he adores Mark Antony. Caesar? Why, he's the Jupiter of men. What's Antony, the god of Jupiter? Spake you of Caesar? Who? The nonpareil. Oh, Antony, oh thou Arabian bird. Would you praise Caesar? Say Caesar. Go no further. Okay, so stop there. Um... So what are they doing? 
in saying those things? They're like flattering both of them. So no, they're not actually, this is not what they're saying. What they're doing is they're parodying Lepidus. So Lepidus has been totally drunk. Um, and um, that, so it begins with, oh, how he loves Caesar. So do they think he really loves Caesar? No, what they're doing is that that's a um, third person. Um, uh, it, 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 it's, it, it's a third person parody. Oh, how he loves Caesar. And then Agrippa, nay, but how dearly he adores Mark Antony. So you can put quotation marks around um, love Caesar and adores Mark Antony just to get the sense of this. Caesar, why he's the Jupiter of men. So all they're doing is they're parodying Lepidus. But notice that each one is parodying Lepidus in the way he praised the master of the other one. So Enobarbus is um, quoting Lepidus on how great Caesar is, and Agrippa is quoting Lepidus on how great Antony is. And then that line, would you praise Caesar? Say Caesar, go no further. What does that mean? Does that line make sense to people? Anyone take a guess? Could it be that like part of what Octavius Caesar like has to like recommend him is that he has this like kind of like illustrious history of like being of like his relation to Julius Caesar? So and it, that Yeah, nice. <laughs> I, I think that's part of it. I also think Sung, um, Sung Kyung just um, uh, chatted that the name itself is sufficient as a praise. That is that um, Caesar, there's no word which has a higher um, uh, value than his own name. Um, this is, in fact, um, in the second folio of Shakespeare's work, um, I think Brandeis owns this as well. Um, there's a poem by John Milton. It's his first published poem. Did I mention this in this class? Um, Milton's first published poem was um, one of the commendatory poems to Shakespeare in the second folio. And um, the poem is asks, why does Shakespeare need a tomb? That's um, It begins, what needs my Shakespeare for his honored bones, the labor of an age in piled stones. And he says Shakespeare doesn't need a tomb. The, the whole idea of the poem is Shakespeare doesn't need a tomb um, because his own name is the highest uh, memorial that he can have. That is that if you want to um, praise Shakespeare, all you have to do is say, well, he was Shakespeare. And um, he and he says that anyone would like to be thought to be Shakespeare. So that idea is one that um, Milton is himself getting from Antony and Cleopatra, which I'm pretty sure was Milton's favorite play of Shakespeare's. Uh, there's a whole lot of Antony and Cleopatra in Milton's own writing. So, but the idea is that um, you can hit this point, you can hit this level where you are um, 
your name is sufficient memory or sufficient praise for who you are. Um, okay, Agrippa. Indeed, he plied them both with excellent praises. So that just tells you that they were parodying Lepidus until then. Inobarbus? He loves Caesar best, yet he loves Antony, who hearts, tongues, figures, scribes, bards, poets, cannot think, speak, cast, write, sing, number, who his love to Antony. So notice... But as for Caesar... No, notice um, that uh, you have... Um, six subjects and six verbs so hearts cannot think tongues cannot speak figures cannot cast scribes cannot write bards cannot sing and poets cannot number his love to antony so that's a parody of a certain kind of um uh it's called euphuistic prose because there's a book called euphues and the idea is that there's no way this could come up in conversation, that you, you would keep track of six subjects like that and then the six verbs that go with the subjects. Um, but it's, um, it's just a, it's a, it's a wonderful parody of, of, of Lepidus's excessiveness. Um, no one could follow this on stage. You have to, you have to see um, that the parallels work really well. Um, okay. Who? They can't do that. Who is love for Antony? Go on. But as for Caesar, kneel down, kneel down and wonder. Who's he loves? They are his shards and he their beetle. Okay, so you know what a shard is? A shard is old cow shit that's dried up. And beetles would, um, would um, essentially, that's, that's uh, where they would have their burrows and, and take shelter. So um, notice that Agrippa and Enobarbus are not, yeah, dung beetles, exactly. Um, Agrippa and Enobarbus are not nearly so impressed by Caesar and Antony as Lepidus are. And in the same way that Minas is unimpressed by Pompey and in the same way that Ventidius and Silius are saying you have to be careful um, not, um, because they want to look more impressive than they are. So again, this is Enobarbus and Agrippa who are very plain-spoken military types. They're not um, people who are awed by, um, by the leaders. Um, go on, Enobarbus. So... This is to horse. So they just heard the trumpet, and it means they have to get going. Good fortune, worthy soldier, and farewell. Okay, so now we need Caesar, Antony, Lepidus, and Octavia. Nicole, would you volunteer for one of those? Yeah, sure. Whichever one. Well, okay, why don't you be Antony? Uh, Okay. We need a Caesar. I can read Caesar. Okay, Talia, you're Caesar. We need a Lepidus. Ari, will you be Lepidus? And um, Julia, will you be Octavia? Okay. No further, sir. You take from me a great part of myself. Use me well in it. Sister, prove such a wife as my thoughts make thee, and as my farthest bond shall pass on thy approof. 
Most noble Antony, let not the peace of virtue which is set betwixt us as the cement of our love to keep it builded, be the ram to batter the fortress. So that would be a loaded ram. That is his very anxiety that Octavia, um, who's supposed to bring them together, might be a cause of dissension, is telling you that she's going to be a cause of dissension. Go on. For better might we have loved without this mean, if on both parts this not cherished. Make me not offended in your distrust. I have said. You shall not find, though you be therein curious, the least cause for what you seem to fear. So the gods keep you and make the hearts of Romans serve your ends. We will hear part. Farewell, my dearest sister. Fare thee well. The elements be kind to thee and make thee thy spirits all of comfort. Fare thee well. So what, um, yeah, keep going. I'm sorry, Octavia. Am I Octavia? Um, no, I thought Julia was Octavia. Am I wrong? Julia, who are you? Me? Yeah. I'm someone. Oh, I guess you're not. I thought you were. Um, I, I I just left for a second to pee. Oh. I guess I must have missed. I missed a lot. Okay. Um, did I get cast? All right. Why don't you be Octavia? Ari, did I tell you? I didn't think you, you were. You told me to be somebody. All right. Um, I thought you were Lepidus. Okay, that's fine. Okay, right, so Julia, you're Octavia. Can someone hit me with a page number? I closed my book. Um, uh, one seventy-seven. So, so Octavia is um, being given by Caesar to Antony with the warning that um, she should be bringing them together and should certainly not be a cause of dissension between them. Um, and um, now Caesar says, Farewell, my dearest sister, fare thee well. The elements be kind to thee and make thy spirits all a comfort. Fare thee well. My noble brother... The April's in her eyes, it's love spring, and these, the, and these the showers to bring on. Be cheerful. Sir, look well to my husband's house, and... What, Octavia? What, Octavia? Oh, sorry, that's not me. <laughs> I'll tell you in your ear. Her tongue will not obey her heart, nor can her heart inform her tongue. The swan's down feather, that stands upon the swell at the full of tide, and neither way inclines. Mm-hmm. Unibarbas? Yeah, Matthew. Okay. Uh, will Caesar weep? He has a cloud in his face. Uh, he were the worse for that were he a horse. So is he being a man? Why, Inabarbus, when Antony found Julius Caesar dead, he cried almost to roaring, and he wept. When at Philippi, he found Brutus slain. That year, indeed, he was troubled with the room. What willingly he did confound, he wailed. Leave it till I wept too. So, um, what does room mean there? Like a disease? It basically means a cold. Um, so, uh, I think we still use the word roomy for R-H-E-U-M-M-Y, I think we do, um, for, um, having a lot of phlegm. And, um, so what Enobarbus, so Agrippa is saying something pretty interesting about Antony, that he wept over the death of Julius Caesar, 
which is true, but that he also wept over the death of Brutus, which uh, might be a surprise to you. And um, Enobarbus, who before, remember what he had said about the death of Fulvia? When Antony says, Fulvia is dead, and Enobarbus makes a joke of that? Anyone remember? The tears... Oh, is it, some, is it something about, like, dying the way, like, Cleopatra dies? No, that's if Cle- Cleopatra would die, but this is... Um, Fulvia is actually dead, and Ina Barbas is immediately says, "The well, tears." He says something like you should laugh about that. You should be, yeah, you should be happy about it. But he says the tears live in an onion that should water that loss. Remember, that is um, the only tears that you should shed for Fulvia are those that cutting up onion would cause you to shed. Um, so, so here, Ina Barbas is someone who isn't. Um, uh, doesn't think soldiers should cry and um, finds Antony a little bit too weepy or at least finds Antony's reputation for weepiness to um, be a little bit overdone. And um, when he says what willingly he did confound, he wailed, um, believe it till I wept too, um, I think those are important lines because he says that um, Antony wept over the very thing that he did, that is killing Brutus um, or finding Brutus slain, um, defeating Brutus. And um, also that maybe he was just as happy that Julius Caesar had been assassinated. That is, um, he cried for both of them. And Ina Barbas's summary is what willingly, what willingly he did confound, he wailed. He was just as happy that both of them were dead. Um, that would be so if, as seems to be the case, the death of Julius Caesar, um, Antony sees from the beginning. This gives you possibly, possibly a little interpretation, Shakespeare's own interpretation of what went on in Julius Caesar which is that the Julia, that the Antony of Julius Caesar, how many of you have read it? Um, it's a standard high school play, but it looks like not that many of you have read it. Okay. Um, the Antony of Julius Caesar is not nearly as, as uh, wonderful a character as the Antony of Antony and Cleopatra. Um, the Antony of Julius Caesar is regarded as a brown noser and probably rightly regarded as a brown noser. And by by all those around him, Brutus is really the tragic hero of Julius Caesar, and Antony is the brown noser who defeats him. Um, here, what we might be getting is a sense that um, Antony was always in Julius Caesar after his own advancement, and that he saw that the death of Caesar meant something like his own, the possibility that he would have to become the ruler or at least one of the rulers of Rome, which in fact is what happens. The death of Julius Caesar leads to the um, triumvirate. So here we're getting um, Enobarbus giving us a very, very, very quick plot summary of that aspect of 
what Antony was doing in Julius Caesar, that, oh, I'm so sad that now I have to be the leader of the um, greatest empire that the world has ever, has ever seen. Um, I so wish it weren't happening. Uh, the character who's most like that, most hypocritical like that in Shakespeare is Richard III. Um, but you can also see this as kind of Macbethy of um, of Antony. That is, that uh, the person who was leader has been murdered, and now he has to become leader. And um, he seems like he's unhappy about it, but in fact, he is happy. So that can be, it's not the Antony of Antony and Cleopatra. Um, it's not something that you should say, oh, so Antony's just a hypocrite and we don't have to like him. Part of what's happened in Antony and Cleopatra is... Um, Maybe one way of putting it is that after he meets Cleopatra, he becomes a different person. Another way of putting it is that um, as he gets older, he becomes a different person. That um, in the same way that Macbeth becomes a different person once he accedes to power and becomes a person who is no longer the kind of snivelly and whiny, ambitious person that he is at the start of the play, but becomes a tragic figure in a completely different way, but nevertheless a way that's consonant with that. Antony, between Julius Caesar and Antony and Cleopatra, also becomes a tragic figure, which he certainly isn't in Julius Caesar. And then Enobarbus says something really important for what's going to happen later in the play, or at least it's again a setup for an amazing moment later in the play, um, he admits that he, that Antony made him weep. That is, he tries to laugh at all. That ear, indeed, he was troubled with a room. What willingly he did confound, he wailed, believe it, till I wept too. So Enobarbus actually weeps with Antony when he sees Antony is weeping. And that idea is going to come up um, in a really powerful way later on in this play. Um, in the meantime, Caesar and Octavia have been speaking, and Caesar now says to her, No, sweet Octavia, you shall hear from me still. The time shall not outgo my thinking on you. So what's he promising? That they'll still be in touch. Yeah, don't worry, I'll be texting you three times a day. Um... Where have we seen um, people being in touch at a distance before in the play? Antony and Cleopatra? Yeah, sending messengers to each other. Uh, Fulvia, not so much with Antony, but Antony and Cleopatra are constantly sending messages to each other. Um, and then Antony? Antony? Is that me? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. Sorry. Um, come, sir, come. I'll wrestle with you in my strength of love. Look here, I have you. Thus I let you go and give you to the gods. So I'll wrestle with you in my strength of love. Where he said something similar to that earlier? Elisa? It, it, at the very start of the play, when Cleopatra is challenging him to how much does he actually love her. So this idea of um, showing how much you love um, is, is, uh, um, gets picked up here in a completely different way with Caesar and one that is contrasts with the way he is 
competing with Cleopatra for how much he loves her. Um, the question weren't, uh, were Fulvia and Antony together at the beginning of the play um, or when she died? Yeah, but they weren't sending messages, messengers to each other. Um, the idea in the play is um, the is the when Anne and Cleopatra are separate, they're sending messengers to each other the whole time. Um, I'm trying to oh, <laughs> I was trying to see what you were writing, Nicole. Um, when Anne and Cleopatra are together, they're sending messages to each other the whole time. Um, but Fulvia, Antony has no idea what Fulvia is doing till the messenger comes to to describe what she's doing, but not sent by a message from uh, not sent by Fulvia, not delivering a message sent by Fulvia. Okay, um, Caesar. Do be happy. Let all the number of the stars give light to thy fair way. Farewell, farewell. Farewell. Do, 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 do. And here we are back in Egypt. Thank goodness. Because it's the, it's the Roman scenes are fun, but they're not deep. And now... Um, having had a little bit of respite from uh, the depth of Alexandria or the intensity or the, one, let's just say the wonderfulness of Alexandria, um, we go back. Uh, we didn't have quite an Alexandrian feast on Pompey's boat, um, but now we go back to Alexandria. So we need uh, a Cleopatra, <laughs> wait, just wait, Nicole. Let's 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 get other people in on this. Tommy, can you be Cleopatra? Tommy. Tommy, can you hear me? Anyone know my reference? No. The who? Yes, Sophia. Yeah. Yes, the who. Tommy, can you hear me? Yeah. One of their best albums. Love it. Yep, yep, totally great. Okay, um, Alexis. I'm going to need to switch my phone, so give me one minute. That's fine. Okay, Cassie, you're Alexis. Uh, Cleopatra. Um, Elvie, can you do Cleopatra? Sure. Okay, and we need a messenger. Um, Emery, can you do the messenger? Okay, uh, let's just, uh, Tommy, when, uh, are you ready? Um, we are at Act 3, Scene 3. Very beginning of Act 3, Scene 3. Okay. Who's the messenger, do you remember? The messenger is the one who brought the bad news and um, Cleopatra got so angry at him. So we're back to that same messenger. Was he the one that Cleopatra punched? Yep. So Tommy, are you okay with this or is it too hard? All right, why don't I start with Cleopatra until Tommy um, gets back? So, where is the fellow? Half a feared to come. 
go to, go to. Come hither, sir. Good majesty, Herod of Jewry dare not look upon you, but when you are well pleased. So who's Herod of Jewry? Anyone hear of King Herod? Yeah, Kathy? Yeah, so if it's Herod from the Bible, that's the king that was, like, theoretically king when Jesus was born and then, like, slaughtered all of the, like, firstborn Jewish, like, male babies in an effort to, like, kill Jesus, which didn't happen. Yeah, so um, because of the flight into Egypt. But, yeah, so Herod was, was king. He was, um, he heard the prophecy that, um, that, uh, a child had been born who would lead the Jews out of, um, would lead the Jews in a rebellion. He had them, all the firstborn killed. This is called the slaughter of the innocents. It picks up from a similar story in what Old Testament book, anyone? Exodus. Exodus, yeah. Um, So this is one of those cases. Again, this is general knowledge that you should have is that um, lots of New Testament stories um, represent themselves as explicitly parallel to Old Testament prefigurations. In fact, the word prefiguration, which we all use all the time, is originally a theological word. And it means that there's an Old Testament story that prefigures the New Testament story. So the the Pharaoh's slaughter of the innocents in um, Exodus becomes Herod's slaughter of the innocents in the gospel. Uh, Shakespeare uh, mistakenly thought that the Herod who was king when Cleopatra and Antony were um, an item was the same Herod who um, slaughtered the, um, the firstborns, um, but it was actually his son. So, but Shakespeare um, confuses them. So in this play, they're the same person. And this is another moment where a New Testament um, uh, allusion comes into this play. When Antony says, thou must needs find out new heaven, new earth, at the beginning of the play, that comes from the Gospels. Here we have Herod of Jewry. One of the things that's happening in Antony and Cleopatra that the audience knows, although Caesar doesn't know it and Antony and Cleopatra don't know it, but one of the things that's happening is that we are just beginning the Christian era. And um, at the end of the play, Caesar is going to say the time of universal peace is here. And by that, he means the Augustan peace um, that began 200 years of um, peace in the ancient Roman Empire. But what he doesn't know is that he is also unknowingly alluding to the idea of Christ as the Prince of Peace and the beginning of, um, of Christianity. And so one question to ask about Antony and Cleopatra is to what extent are we supposed to see them as failing to be Christian, failing to see um, that Christianity is on its way and what a good thing that is. 
or to what extent are we to see Christianity as um, defeating or undoing or destroying um, this other amazing way of being a person that Antony and Cleopatra embody? Uh, that's the same question you can ask about the Merchant of Venice. That is, that the Merchant of Venice is Christian, is Christian versus non-Christian. And um, it's a um, question in the play whether it is pro-Christian or not. Uh, you have the same question in Antony and Cleopatra. So, um, Alexis brings Herod up. Good majesty, Herod of Jewry dare not look upon you, but when you are well pleased, Cleopatra... Cleopatra, Cleo, Nicole, wasn't that you? Wasn't me? Wasn't I Cleopatra? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought Tommy was Cleopatra, but I can be oh, Cleopatra. Was I, oh, and then I was doing it instead. Um, you're right. You're right. Um, Tommy, are you ready? Uh, well, okay. <laughs> All right, so you're, you're Cleopatra at um, Act 3, Scene 3, Line 4 now. Act 3, Scene 3, Line 4, you said? Yep. Okay, so I'm Cleopatra, is yep. what you're saying. Okay. So, um, that Herod's head I'll have. But how, when Antony is gone, through whom I might command it, come thou near. So again, Antony could have majesty. taken that. Okay, go ahead. Messenger, go. Most gracious majesty. Didst thou behold Octavia? I dread queen. Where? Madam, in Rome. I looked her in the face and saw her led between her brother and Mark Antony. Is she as tall as me? She is not, madam. Didst hear her speak? Is she shrill-tongued or... Madam, I heard her speak. She is low-voiced. So notice that... uh, Um... It's going to turn out that both those choices are bad. It's like, so did you hear her speak? Is she, or did you, did, uh, did you, did you see how how tall she was? Was she too tall or too short? Is she short-tongued or low? Madam, I heard her speak. She was low-voiced. Cleopatra. That's not so good. He cannot like her long. Yeah, he doesn't like women with low voices. Charmian. Like her, oh, Isis, tis impossible. So Charmian is helping her along. Yeah, I think so, Charmian. Dull of tongue and dwarfish. So but did Majesty you say dwarfish? Her- did the messenger say dwarfish? No, but the messenger said shorter than Cleopatra. Yeah, so, so immediately that becomes... And low means that... Um, anyone know who who else has described by way of praise as having a low voice? No one remembers it from another play. Her voice was ever soft, gentle, and low. That's Lear about um, about uh, Cordelia after she dies. He's now praising her voice, which was ever soft, gentle, and low. That's the very voice that he had condemned her for, for not saying how much she loved him at the beginning of the play. So Cleopatra is taking those descriptive words as um, reasons to think Octavia is simply going to be um, uh, someone Antony won't like. 
dull of tongue and dwarfish. Go on. What majesty is in her gate? Remember, if e'er thou looks on majesty. So did the messenger ever look on majesty? What is she warning him? Oh, uh, like if if remember, is is it something like she's trying to make it such that Antony doesn't like her, and mm-hmm. so if she looked on Majesty, then maybe he would, and that would be bad. No, so it's if ever thou looked on Majesty. So is there any Majesty in her gate? Before you answer consider that you might have looked on majesty and who would where would he have looked on majesty i see on her in other words so you know what majesty looks like so does she hold a candle to me uh think before you answer so what this is is news management what she's trying to do is get the messenger to say exactly um what she wants him to say um, and she'll interpret the messenger as saying stuff that will convince her that Antony won't stay with Octavia. So the messenger, does he get the picture? Messenger. She creeps. Her motion and her station are as one. She shows a body rather than a life, a statue than a breather. So um, finally the messenger gets what Cleopatra wants. Is this certain? Or I have no observance. Three in Egypt cannot make better notes. Um, or, that, sorry, that's... Charmian. My bad. LV. Three in Egypt cannot make better notes. So notice Charmian is encouraging this description. And Cleopatra agrees. He's very knowing. I do perceive it. There's nothing in her yet. The fellow has good judgment. Excellent. So I think this is just a delightful scene. That is that they're trying to get the messenger to say what they want him to say... And they're flattering him for saying it. Guess at her years, I prithee. Adam, she was a widow. So is he guessing at her years, or is he um, distracting her for a minute? Well, she's like, uh, well, I guess maybe it's both, because she's trying to assess the the person, but also uh, distract from, from... Their initial description, like, yeah, he's the messenger doesn't actually want to say how old she is, so instead he implies that she's old by saying that, like Gertrude, she's a widow. Um, and Cleopatra loves that. Cleopatra, oh, yes, widow, Charmian, hark, and I do think she's 30. So, notice Cleopatra doesn't pick up on that because Cleopatra is pushing 40. Um, so that's not something she's going to pick up on. Bearest thou her face in mind? Is it long or round? Round even to faultiness. For the most part, too, they are foolish that are so. Her hair, what color? Brown, madam, and her forehead as low as she would wish it. There's gold for thee. Thou must not take my former sharpness ill. I will employ thee back again. I find thee most fit for business. Go, make thee ready. Our letters are prepared. So, um, now she likes the messenger because he's learned to um, tell her what she wants. Again, thank goodness we don't live in times when heads of state demand um, the news to be massaged in order to flatter them. 
Um, but that's the way things were. It was terrible, terrible times. Um, it, um, sorry, is there a kind of thing with like brown, madam, and then there's gold for these? So like, if he had said gold, then maybe he wouldn't have gotten her. gold. Um, sorry. If 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 he'd said gold, then there would be then she'd give him shit instead. <laughs> yeah, maybe something like that. I don't know. <laughs> so. Um, basically, you, Brown is not, um, it, it's, you, you don't want to describe people using, um, I mean, th this is a, a convention of the time. You don't describe people using um, the dull everyday language of colors. So you don't say um, that women have yellow hair if they're blonde, but you would say, as you're saying, Nicole, something like golden hair. And if their hair is brown, you would say raven hair or something like that. The idea is to use, um, it's where advertising comes from. The, the idea is to use adjectives that are vivid and make someone look um, um, uh, just, just, just charismatic. And so the messenger guesses uh, not to say that. Also, um, as low as she would wish it um, is... Uh, means that she that um it's it's a kind of euphemism um for saying it's too low that is that she doesn't have a she doesn't have a high forehead that you do cleopatra um okay so the messenger exits charmian proper man cleopatra oh my bad sorry um indeed he is so I repent me much that I so harried him. Why, methinks, by him, this creature is no such thing. So no such thing means not such a thing. Um, no big deal. Madam. Sorry. The man hath seen some majesty, and should know. The majesty being Cleopatra. Hath he seen majesty? I this Elstefan in serving you so long. I have one thing more to ask him yet, good Charmian. But tis no matter. Thou shalt bring him to me where I will write. All may be well enough. I weren't you, madam. So, again, notice the thing about Cleopatra is that her natural um, optimism, so far she has no reason to think that Antony's going to return, um, except her natural optimism. And so if she can convince people to tell her what she wants, she'll believe them. But it's partly because convincing people to tell her what she wants means convincing people to do what she wants. And the person she most wants to convince is Antony himself. Okay, now we need an Antony and an Octavia. We have about, we have a couple minutes left. So let's start. Um, I think we could do the next scene if we do it quickly. So Antony, um, Nicole, you're Antony. Octavia, um... Someone. I mean, I'll do it. But okay, I just go for it. it. Go for it. Anthony. Nay, nay, Octavia, not only that, that were excusable that and thousands more of semblable import, but he hath waged new wars against Pompey, made his will and read it to public ear, spoke scantly of me when perforce he could not but pay me terms of honor, cold and sickly, he vented them most narrow measure lent me. When the best hint was given him, he not took it, or did it from his teeth. So who's that? Who's he talking about? Octavius, right? Nope, he's talking about Caesar. So in, oh, sorry, yes. 
He's talking about Caesar. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry. Um, So in the meantime, um, stuff is going, things are not working well between Antony and Octavius and Antony's complaining to Octavia. Um, And notice the word measure, most narrow measure lent me, didn't um, give him um, what he needed to do what he wanted to do. Octavia. Oh, my good Lord, believe not all, or if you must believe, stomach not all. A more unhappy lady, if this division chance ne'er stood between, praying for both parts. The good gods will mock me presently when I shall pray, Oh, bless my Lord and husband, undo that prayer by crying out as loud, Oh, bless my brother, husband win, win, win brother, prays and destroys the prayer. No midway twixt these extremes at all. Gentle Octavia, let your best love draw to that point which seeks best to preserve it. If I lose mine honor, I lose myself. Better I, better I were not yours than yours so branchless. But as you requested, yourself shall go between us. The meantime, lady, I'll raise the preparation of war shall stain your brother. Make your soonest haste so your desires are yours. So... Um, you should be on my side is essentially what he's saying, because if I lose my honor, um, yours, um, I lose myself. Hang on to that amazing phrase because he is going to lose himself later. Um, and, um, then you would be disbranched of your honor, but in, um, you can be the go-between. Um, but in the meantime, I am going, I'm going to send you as a go-between, but in the meantime, I'm going to get ready for a war against your brother if it comes to that. Octavia? Okay. Thanks to my lord. The jove of power make me most weak, most weak, your reconciler. Wars twixt you twain would be as if the world should cleave and that slain men should solder up the river. So again, that's a loaded gun. Um, If there's going to be a war between them, that's going to be really bad. So guess what there's going to be? A war between them. Anthony? When it appears to you where this begins, turn your displeasure that way, for our faults can never be so equal that your love can equally move with them. Provide your going, choose your own company, and command what cost your heart has mine to. So he's sending her as a go-between. He's treating her generously. So very quickly, what do we think of Octavia? Do we like her or not? Well, she is. Uh, she has her loyalties in order, I guess. Yeah, and um, she's caught in between. She's a completely opposite character from Cleopatra. Um, she is um, someone who is um, humble and meek of a of a holy, cold, and sober disposition, as um, as we heard before. But um, it seems pretty clear. This is what I wanted to ask you a scene ago. Um, it seems pretty clear that she and her brother really do love each other. Um, she clearly loves him. She clearly loves um, Octavian. Um, she clearly loves her brother. Um, it seems that he loves her as well. And that um, that is actually something that matters. We don't see much um, friendship or love in Caesar. Everything that he does in Octavius, everything he does is calculated. Um, but the one place where it seems like he really does care about someone else seems to be his sister. So that is a reason to be quite fearful of what's going to happen when she gets caught in the middle between them. 
Okay, um, so see you guys Friday. And uh, questions, comments, concerns? Okay, good. See you on Friday then. Uh, stay healthy. Thank and you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.